My name is Paul. I've been serving with the elders for about five and a half years. My wife is Maggie. She's the one that does uh, an incredible job with uh, circulating the, your prayer requests that are on our prayer chain. <clears throat> and I'm going to need my glasses. We've been attending here since 1989. <clears throat> and as elders, there's ways that we try to be visible and available, as we should. So when Justin asked if I would speak this morning, it seemed appropriate to say yes. So let's pray that God will use me and my preparation from his word to speak to you today. God, in your grace, use people to accomplish your purposes. Today I desire to be used to encourage and edify, to inspire and challenge, to speak of your holiness and love, and I trust you for that this morning. Amen. <clears throat> now if you don't know me, I am kind of private. As an elder, I do believe the position requires being known, and that's been stretching me. Uh, but let me begin by giving you a little info. As a younger man, after making a series of poor decisions, God, who I believe has been working on me my whole life, helped me make a good one. Actually, a couple good ones, because I married Maggie. <clears throat> in the situation I found myself in, it became clear to me that I needed to understand the Bible. So we moved from upstate New York to the Deep South and attended Bible College. And I was determined not to stay there to get a degree because I wanted to avoid a couple of the school's requirements. They wanted me to produce a detailed doctrinal statement. And I'm not an expert theologian, and I tend to see both sides of almost every argument. So that was intimidating. They also required me to give and prepare a chapel message in public speaking was even more frightening. But I decided to face the fear and I prepared and delivered both and completed my degree. I made it out of there without becoming a systematic theologian or comfortable with public speaking. But it did help me learn how to read and understand the Bible. Now I know I can be a difficult person to get to know, and I often feel like I really don't even know myself. <clears throat> and even when I want to reveal something of myself, I'm not that good a communicator. And then there's this reflexive fear that if I do reveal myself, how would you respond? Can I trust you with what you know? But in all this, it helps that I'm learning who I am in Christ. This morning, the message I want to bring is that God, you can know. He wants you to know him. He reveals himself. Unlike me, he knows himself perfectly. He knows you perfectly. And he's a perfect communicator. And as we learn all that he has <clears throat> revealed and get to know him, we learn he can be trusted. The problem comes with the fact that as fallen humans, we don't have eyes to see or ears to hear, and we hide ourselves from him clinging to darkness rather than light, like Adam hiding in the garden. But God has made a way, <clears throat> Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the word made flesh, 
He is God's great revelation, and in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He knows what's in man, and he can open deaf ears and give sight to blind eyes. And he's proven himself worthy of our trust. So today, I'd like to look at how God has revealed himself, in particular, how he's revealed his plan to redeem and restore us from death to life, from sin and separation to righteousness and fellowship. Specifically, as we're approaching Christmas, I'd like to look at how he's revealed himself through his son. I'd like to consider this from the perspective of four different days. The day Jesus was born, the day he left this earth, today, and the end of this age. And I must have given this message about 25 titles, but I finally settled on one that probably still needs explanation, so I'm not real proud of it. Um, yeah. You know, and Sabrina made the, the slides for me. I don't know why she added my name. I guess, <laughs> guess to make sure you know who's culpable here. <laughs> but she did a great job, and thank you very much. God's revelation empowers our response in radiance. Now we can get to a slide that doesn't have my name on it. The first day I want to look at is the day Jesus was born. And let's begin with an event recorded in Luke 2 that occurs on the first day that the word became flesh. Several shepherds while watching sheep get an amazing, frightful visit when first one angel and then a whole army of God's holy angels appear. And I've seen this pictured as dazzling human-like figures floating far above in the sky, but the text indicates that they stood before them or among them like they were up close and personal, right in their business. Either way, they were terrified. Now, through the first angel, our loving God, who is a God of promise, faithful to keep his promises, a God who reveals his glory, the God who gives every good and perfect gift, here he's choosing to, reveal, to further reveal his promised plan to save humans to these shepherds. The angel tells them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You'll find the babe wrapped tightly in cloth, lying in a manger. And then an army of angels suddenly appear and singing a worship, in worship and a blessing, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth to people he favors. The book of Hebrews tells us God spoke to the Israelites by the prophets at different times and in different ways. Here God chooses angels to reveal to shepherds that his son was coming into the world. God is further revealing to them his plan of redemption. And I say further because God has been revealing this plan in a progressive way, promise by promise, all along, the plan becoming ever more clear. And this is why the work on that God's work on our behalf is often referred to as his progressive plan of redemption. Now let me back us up to rehearse for a sec. The day when through Satan's deception man fell into sin and under the curse of death, God begins right away revealing and promise to a sinful Adam that through the seed of a woman one would come and defeat the deceiver and rescue the sinner. Later God reveals that he'd bless Abraham, and through that blessing, 
the whole earth would be blessed. And that blessing is renewed to Isaac and Jacob. And Jacob is told that through his son Judah, his lineage would provide the victorious child of woman that was going to come. Later through Moses, God revealed that another leader greater than Moses would come. And still later to King David, who was from Judah's line, God revealed in promise that from his descendants, the forever king would come. And I'm leaving out a whole lot more of what God progressively reveals about his Messiah in the Psalms and the prophets. But back to these shepherds, and I wonder sometimes how scholarly they were with the Old Testament revelation. But regardless, God deals with them where they're at, and here they're receiving clear and advancing revelation of God's promises being fulfilled. Today, a Savior born for you, the Messiah, the Lord. And how did they respond to this awesome experience? Well, they say, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They've seen this amazing, spectacular visit from angels. They've heard this good news, the gospel, which in about 30 years was progressively expanded by the Messiah himself in the words that God loved the world, has given his only son, so men would not have to stand condemned, but be saved. They saw, they heard, and they responded to what was revealed to them. We're told that they hurried to see, they told others, and they gave God praise. <clears throat> now the second day I want to look at is the day that Jesus left this earth. Let's look at a revelation and response from an event that took place on the last day that Jesus walked this earth the day Jesus ascended from, the, from his disciples' presence to the right hand of the Father. This is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts. And for context, it's 30-plus years after the shepherd had witnessed the angel's announcement and responded by going to the manger. And here we have a group of men who, like the shepherds, have come to Jesus. But this time it's because he called them. And they have received so much more progressing revelation from God. They've been witnesses of the Savior's life, his miracles, his teaching, his faithful obedience to God's will, even when it was at great expense to his comfort and safety. They've experienced his love for them and his love for others. Some of those that he loved, they would have considered not even worthy of God's love. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever thought that about somebody else? You know, if you read Psalm 136, every, um, every one of the 26 verses ends with his, his love endures forever. God loves. God loves. Now, they've seen him betrayed and rejected, and they've seen him suffer all that Isaiah prophesied, humiliation, beating, death, even separation from his father in the midst of the incredible physical pain and the spiritual agony of bearing our sin. Jesus is quoting Psalm 22 when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the Bible is clear that death is not just physical. It's separation from God's loving, life-giving, holy presence. And they witnessed his agony of separation from the father as he bore the penalty for our sin that God's righteousness demands. And let's not miss this. <clears throat> it's always the case with our infinite God that we can never fully understand infinite things. 
But meditating on them expands us. It's one way for us to respond to what God reveals. And the next time that we sing, Here I Am to Worship, notice when it repeats meditatively, I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. And that's what Paul's saying in 2 Corinthians 5.21 when he said, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The more you let God reveal what sin and righteousness are, the greater understanding you'll have of their infinite separation and the greater love you'll have for God's Son who alone can bridge that gap. As Jesus said in five. In John 5, 24, truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed, he's on the bridge, passed from death to life. They witnessed his horrible death, and he had told them before it happened, and he told them it would be sacrificial, but they hadn't understood at the time. I'm going to go off script here a little bit with a thought that I had this morning you know, Hebrews 12, 2 tells us it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. And the next time, I, the next verse I think of when I think of Jesus and joy is the benediction in Jude where it says, um, Jesus is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless in his presence with exceeding joy. Uh, let me paraphrase the Jude comment to Jesus is able to, able to enable you to live Christ-like and hide you in his righteousness in God's presence. Well, they witnessed all, that, all the suffering, but they also witnessed the miracle of all miracles, his resurrection. And just not a momentary sighting, but he spent time with them for 40 days and is still human, but never to see decay, resurrected state. They received so much more of God's progressing revelation than the shepherds had at the major. And now on this day, they are witnesses to Jesus revealing that all authority is his. He has conquered the power of the deceiver and has victory over the curse of death. He demonstrated that he's the resurrection and the giver of eternal life. On this day, Jesus charges them to respond. Be my witnesses, go into all the world, preach the good news, make disciples, then baptize them and teach them all that I've commanded. And then he blesses them, and then he left. And as you know, he didn't simply just walk away. Astoundingly, these men stood watching Jesus, still human, but in some incredible way, not limited like us. He ascends through the skies to join his Father, the good and perfect gift giver, to be in the heavenly realm with him, as he was in the beginning, once again, as always, forever he is with God and he is God. And then suddenly here come angels again. This time two appear among them, and I'll paraphrase the charge they give. Stop looking, in, looking after him in the sky. He will come back in a similar way. But for now, get to it. But Jesus didn't leave them to respond to his revelation in their own effort. He told them that as he left, that he would be with them always. He told them that they would receive power, that they would receive what the Father had promised, the presence of his Holy Spirit, 
And by the Spirit's power, they would perform signs that would confirm that their work was of God. <clears throat> Shouldn't have looked down. These works would fulfill his earlier promise. Truly, I tell you, the one, who, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater works than these because I go to the Father. And now, how did these men respond to all this revelation? Well, the first thing Luke tells us is they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They experienced all that Jesus walking among them had revealed. They heard his charge, and they responded. They obeyed. The book of Acts and the whole New Testament speak to the, their faithfulness to Jesus' charge. Church history and the, the early church leaders in their writings tell us that many, if not all, gave their lives as martyrs in witness to the gospel. Christ told them they would face such opposition and persecutions as he had. Jesus indicated that for them, their lives would be forfeit for his body. As Paul quotes Psalm 44, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. And that certainly has, been, has proven to be for our encouragement and benefit because they continued to build on the foundation Jesus had laid for God's new covenant people in this church age. Like the shepherds, they responded to God's revelation. They became like sheep to be slaughtered and shepherds, as Jesus had charged Peter. They fed his sheep the people who make up his flock, his body, his church. And as I move to the third day that we'll consider, we'll see that they still feed us today. The third day I want to look at is today, our day. Now, we may not be seeing the heavenly host singing glory to God, and our day is not the time the Father chose that we should witness the years that Jesus walked this earth. So what is our revelation today? Our mighty God still reveals himself. We have creation. We have the God-given longing for him because he made us in his image. We have his word, the Bible, which reveals his gospel. The gospel that Paul calls the power of God that can transform lives from darkness to light. We have the witness of the apostles and the record of their spirit-empowered work laying the church's foundation. We have the spirit's work still in the world convicting of sin righteousness and judgment. We have the Spirit's work in us, empowering our transformation into Christ-likeness. And that same Spirit testifying with our spirit that we're God's children. We have the Spirit variously gifting individuals in the body to minister to the whole. And we still have more. We have the testimony of changed lives through the ages, and we see lives changed among us in our day. We have volumes of commentary by gifted godly men that have researched and illuminated the context and meaning of God's word. We have gifted communicators who apply God's word to our lives in their sermons. We have revelation now that Hebrews tells us the angels and prophets long to look into. And I suppose that's just getting started. Remember Christ said he'd be with them always until the end of the age and that would include our day. Luke begins Acts with a clear indication that Jesus' time on earth <clears throat> is what he began to do and teach. He's still building his church. Though we don't see everything, 
And there are among you this day unsystematic theologians who remain confused about much. We do see Jesus. He is revealed to be our prophet, priest, king, savior, our worthy sacrifice, the Messiah, our advocate, interceding on our behalf, our teacher, judge, sustainer. He's our righteousness, our life giver. We have his promise that he is with us until the end of this age and the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. Our response needs to be like those shepherds. Come to Jesus. Seek him. Remember, the Bible tells us that we need to trust that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Learn of his life and his work on our behalf. And it may be stretching an analogy, but in obedience, we're to be Jesus' sheep as well as shepherds to his flock, the church, his body that we belong to. And maybe you're thinking, sheep, okay, but shepherds, that's the elder's job. No, okay, you're right. However, I see no quality that an elder should possess or any function that an elder should perform that any believer who is in God's will should not also be growing into. Love one another, bear each other's burdens, pray for each other, encourage, teach, share ourselves what God has done and taught you. Yeah, our response needs to be like those shepherds, but our response needs to be like those disciples too. Preach the gospel. How will people respond if they haven't heard? Make disciples. Teach them to obey all Jesus commanded, which requires that all of us shepherd the new disciples that are being made as God equips each of us. <clears throat> We're to build the church upon the foundation that Jesus laid and he continues to build on. And as the disciples did, we're to stand for truth and, and for truth as a witness to a society that has walked away from it. We're to be salt and light, a godly influence. As I prepared to make more practical uh, application of this message, I wanted to emphasize that we serve together. So I looked through our church mission statement and our 10-year vision plan, and I came up with about a half hour's worth of convincing and convicting applications. At least I believe they were convicting because they were convicting me. But I'm running long and it's almost Christmas, so I won't burden you with all this conviction today. I'd simply challenge you to look through the mission and vision on our website and humbly and prayerfully ask God how it applies to your growth and your serving in his kingdom on earth in this day. And the elders would welcome constructive criticism of what you see as reflecting God's purpose as well, and ideas to improve these for the benefit of the body and God's glory. I think we'd just be excited to know you read them. <clears throat> now, I know the challenges of responding to God's revelation are too big. They were for the disciples, too. But in all this, we can look for encouragement from God's word, his revelation. I had another section prepared with several personal examples of passages that have helped me respond to challenges that I face. Passages that speak to when the Spirit's convicting me of sin or times when I'm reluctant to confess and repent, times I'm feeling faithless or experiencing doubt, times when I know my will doesn't align with God's, when I'm fearful of doing works that God would have me do, times when I have trouble being thankful or being able to worship God. 
These also ran kind of long for today. And I was sad to cut this section out. It was a good exercise in how God's revelation can inspire our response. He does reveal himself to us as the perfect provider of all our needs. And just like we rely on him for the conditions that make our earth habitable, and rely on him for the supply of oxygen that our next breath's going to draw, and for the next heartbeat that circulates and nourishes our body, in the same way we fully rely on him to live godly in Christ. God is our provider in all things, and we must abide in his provision. And that provision is his gospel that he's revealed in Jesus. One way to abide is to read his word and pray his words. That was what my examples uh, consisted of. Another way is to be connected with his body, be encouraged by each other's experiences with God's revelation in his word and in testimonies of his faithfulness. And this is, of course, what we encourage to be taking place in home groups and discipleship triangles. Um, take a moment, look around you. God has given all of us to each other to reveal himself to us. The fourth thing I wanted to evaluate or look at, well, I was going to, um, it was going to be the, um, the, the, the end of this age. But I, you know, again, I'm running long. The Bible has much to say about what will be revealed then as well as our, what our response is going to be. <clears throat> the promise of no more pain, sickness, death, we have the promise that for eternity we'll be made worthy to be in God's presence. Justin told me that he might be dealing with some of this perspective during his Christmas service. Melody Hickey recently covered much about this time in the recent four-week foundation series, Longing for the Return of Christ, which you can find on our, that presentation on our website. And so again, for today, what is our response? I can think of four ways that we can choose to respond. We can ignore, and we can delay, which is very little different. We can deny, even to the point of being antagonistic, or we can obey. There's a verse in Hebrews 2 that can make my blood run. There's a few verses in Hebrews that can make my blood run cold. But uh, verse, chapter 2, verse 3, how, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Let me turn this negative warning of how shall we escape to the gospel's promise. Thank you, Father, that because of what is revealed in Christ, we can enjoy so great a salvation. We are blessed with a God that, who always has, still does, and always will reveal himself. Just as God revealed himself progressively through history, we receive what he's revealed, not all at once, but we receive it progressively. We grow in our knowledge of him and his word. It's important for that growth that we respond to the revelation as we receive it. God never changes, but his revelation and his relationship is unique to every soul that does receive it, which is why we need each other to be complete. The shepherd's proper response was implied to them by the angels when they were told, you will find the babe. The disciples' proper response was given to them by Jesus, as well as a kick in the tunic from the angels 
to go. Our proper response also comes from Jesus and from the Spirit and from the Spirit's inspired exhortations of of the apostles and from the whole Bible. God reveals himself through angels, through himself and Jesus, through his apostles, through the songs of a shepherd king, through the prophets, and here comes my big reveal. He wants to reveal himself through you, to his body and to a dying world. God uses those who have received his revelation to reflect his glory. And there are scriptures that support this. And the one I've chosen is 2 Corinthians 4, 6 through 11. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Now we have this treasure in clay jars, so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. And so, with worship and thankfulness, remember our God reveals himself and he has a plan for reconciling us to him. Today, a Savior born for you, the Messiah, the Lord. In a minute, Ross is going to come up and lead us through communion. But uh, I did, I built a prayer. I'm going to have to read it. I put it up here so you can keep your eyes open. It is a prayer. Um, I built it around 1 Corinthians 1.23, Romans 1.16, and the 17th chapter of John. So pray this with me. I mean, you don't have to say it out loud. Gracious, loving Father, in full dependence on all you provide, we desire to be your sheep, dependent on you to grow us to be good shepherds in your flock and good disciples and witnesses of your gospel to our culture. Like the cultures of the apostle, and as in every culture, there are those today who trust their own goodness and find your gospel a stumbling block. There are those who trust man's wisdom and they find your gospel foolish. But as Paul proclaims, this gospel is your power for salvation to everyone who believes, able to save the one who trusts his own efforts, also the one who trusts in man's wisdom. For in Christ, your righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith, responding to your revelation. Help us model the shepherd's response by coming to your son, seeking all that you reveal. Help us model the disciples' response of obedience in being disciples, making disciples, or being sheep, making sheep, and being shepherds. It is your will that as we seek to know you and each other, that we grow together to be Christ-like, revealing you by our worship of your son, by our love for each other, and by the unity we have in you. to strengthen each other and to compel a dying world. Amen.